I don't have any um, talking head to cut back to. And I, I do it on purpose because that's 100% going to be the most boring frame in the film that I make, hopefully. Because if it's not, then I have real issues. Um, <laughs> Welcome back to On the Fly with John Gill, this episode sponsored by Filmic Pro, which is amazing because two years ago this month, I had a film in competition at Filmic Fest. And if you're a filmmaker of any sort and you've resisted sharing your films in competitions, then you need to hear this because... In 2019, I entered the Made on Mobile category of Filmic Fest, meaning that my film was both shot and edited on mobile. I nearly entered the documentary category, which really glad I didn't. It meant it didn't need to be edited on mobile. But that category was actually won by my guest for this episode, SJ Van Breda, and her film, Jane Digby, which is stunning. And you need to, you need to check that out. I'll put a link in the, in the comments. In the description, rather. However, naively, I thought Filmic Fest was going to be a small niche festival with maybe a few hundred entries, and I was wrong. The judging process was announced as being extended to accommodate 1,500 entries, and so then I just put my put the competition out of my head. You know, 1,500. I thought I don't stand a chance. If I'd realised for one second that there were going to be so many submissions, I probably wouldn't even have entered. As it is, I won the category and a ton of new gear. So if you're debating about entering competitions or film festivals or putting your work out there, whatever whatever work it is you do, just go for it. It's always possible that your film will get rejected. The same film, a perfectly healthy situation that won for me at Filmic Fest and the Dublin Smartphone Film Festival got rejected at three other festivals, but equally... The ones that I did sort of connect with, uh, people got to see my film. Uh, you get to connect with all the creatives. So don't hold back, go for it. Anyway, my guest, like I said, this episode, SJ Van Breda. She is a filmmaker from Durban, South Africa. She specializes in short films captured using mobile phones. We connected last year through taking part in Film It Fest. And I just want to play you a clip from the podcast that we did last year where she talks about why she shoots on mobile and the benefits of entering a competition like Filmic Fest. You're sort of not, in, not being able to tell that it was shot on mobile anymore. And then I, I have all this flexibility. I, I actually wouldn't want to shoot with a bigger camera for my own projects, my own small documentary projects. And I wouldn't choose another camera. <laughs> there is a lot of... Um, think snobbery in the film industry right now where it's just like oh you know get away from me with that phone like you can't shoot on a phone you know mm. when I show them the end product and then tell them it was shot on the phone they were like no it's not no it's not it's yeah. shot with filmic pro it's shot on this phone it's shot like it's legitimate um so I think that's where the phone is heading <laughs> some someone very much smarter than me told me this he said that if it's a choice between making a film and not making a film, there's no choice. If you shoot on a phone, exactly, yeah. you have a film. And if you choose yeah. not to film, you don't have a film. And it's better to keep making films. That is the only necessary experience for making films is to make more films. The best prize to get like from winning a filmmaking competition is more filming gear because it just ups yeah. your game so much. And I'm very grateful to Filmic Pro every day, to be honest with you. Um, it's just raised my game so much with the stuff that's coming out now 
Um, and also, like, I've gotten opportunities from people seeing Jane Digby on the Filmic Pro website. So I will always be grateful to Filmic Pro. So there we go. In this episode, we pick apart some of the techniques and themes in a most recent award-winning mini-documentary, Symphony of Spheres, a poetic documentary that captures the process and the world of South African abstract sculptor Brendan Edwards. I strongly recommend you give it a watch before you listen to this episode because we refer to it a lot. Again, there's a link in the description. It's just five minutes long and an amazing piece of filmmaking regardless of what it was shot or edited on. So we talk about some of the challenges involved with the lockdown, but mostly her filmmaking philosophy and practice of piecing together her style of people portraits through film and sound and music and visual effects and there's lots to learn here so listen on to learn how to win a filmic app bundle to further your filmmaking journey all you need is a phone and because this is a digital prize the competition is open to folks worldwide so without further ado this is on the fly season three episode two with sj van breda Download the pod. Of all the shots, which are the ones that lived up to the expectation of what you had in your head? I think the one I was most surprised about was, I think it's around 40 seconds. I've got it open here, so I'm just yeah. scrolling through. Brendan Edwards, he has a, a property on a on a mountainside. So we went up that, and that's where all the shots of him looking out over the scenery came from. Mm. Um, and that, like, sky and him with that hat, and then I mirrored it vertically and horizontally. And that sort of moving into each other, the four of him, like I, I was pleased with that. I was like, I didn't plan that, yeah. and that worked out pretty well. Yeah, that's one I was most of, excited about. Yeah, yeah, no, because that is very much a. Um, it feels a little bit uh, like a kaleidoscope, but also a little bit Rorschach as well. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is the, the sort of the ink blot thing was the thing that yeah. came to me with that because he's. I mean. Again, I, I think how you've graded the black and white, mm-hmm. it's so easy to go for the noir, really heavy blacks and whites. But you, and, and something I've been experimenting a lot more with recently is a more subtle kind of a black and white. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so I loved that because the the background or the the sort of the landscape is more shades of gray and then he is this sort of almost a silhouette but obviously there's loads of detail in there as well in those few seconds it just, it just creates really nice interesting shapes that then it was probably around that point that I'm thinking no nah, this works <laughs> this is this is good um I know nothing I need to sort of just be open to experimentation more it's really really nice is that an effect or is that something that you did manually? Um, no, that's um, a post effect in Premiere. Right. It's just the mirror effect and the effects panel. 
um, which is a lot more difficult to use than you think it is. Mm. <laughs> it's actually really annoying to use the premier version of the uh, mirror effect. Um, but I know that you can do this live in some of the newer phones I've gotten from Xiaomi. They actually have a live mirroring function. Wow. Um, which would be really cool if I if I had that back in 2019. Um, but yeah, this is all premiere done post-production. Mm. So I had to play, because as soon as I saw it, I thought, I wonder if LumaFusion can do something like that. And there is, mm. and actually it's it's pretty powerful. I, don't, I imagine it's similar to the premiere version in that you can you can split it the way that you have, but also you can, you can add segments mm -hmm. um, in different directions. So you could do it like a kaleidoscope or you can do yeah. the sort of the split the way you did it four ways and stuff like that. Yeah. So where did that idea come from? Cause that obviously that's, you use that a lot through the whole video. And if I'm honest, when I first saw it, I thought, can a film that's sort of five minutes sustained because I thought if you've used it repeatedly through the first minute, then mm -hmm. you're obviously going to use it throughout. Is it going to feel gimmicky? <laughs> yeah. Um, and it didn't. If I had thought of that, I would have thought, well, you could use it for a few shots. But so where did the idea, you know, what inspired that and, and your use of it? And, you know, what were you thinking in terms of how much you were going to use it, how much you weren't going to use it and so on? Um, well, I, I went into that shoot knowing that I wanted to do symmetry and mirroring in some form. I, I sort of hate the mirroring effect usually. Um, I'm very cautious of using anything like that because of my like film school training. Any Anything like that is seen as like just straight up gimmick. And it's very sort of railed against. Um, so, yeah, it, it was it was difficult for me, but I knew I wanted to do it because of the content, and I knew that I was sort of somewhat justified in doing it because of what he was speaking about and how symmetry so much informs his work. And I think if if the content was any different, maybe it would be seen as a gimmick. But I think if it if the the like the visuals of the film support the content that is being spoken about so much, then you can sort of get away with it. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was after, it was back in 2019. It was shot a long time ago. Um, and I had a meeting with Brendan. Like I, I didn't know him at all. I met him through a mutual friend. Um, and we just sat down and had coffee um, when you could still have coffee with someone <laughs> in a coffee shop <laughs> without like fearing for your life or fearing that the police would come and, you know, um, yeah, I sat down with him and I, I listened to him for, I think we had like a, a two hour sort of meeting where he just like, he explained his philosophy, but then I also got to know his personality a bit, which I think is the most important when you try to make a film of someone, just the general personality is a good thing to delve into a little deeper and I mean all he talked about was circles and spheres and um symmetry so I knew I I wanted to do something like that and then I thought mm, be careful you don't want to do mirroring effect and then everyone's like oh you know I have to yeah. watch this whole film that because I feel that way as well um so I it was a struggle I'm not gonna lie it was a struggle and then I I happened upon the idea that his work is so symmetrical and some of the forms in his environment that he works in are so symmetrical that sometimes 
I mirrored the 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 shot and sometimes I didn't and you couldn't kind of tell when I did when I didn't so there's some shots in that film that aren't mirrored at all but they look like they are oh right um so I thought well that's interesting because then I'm kind of just playing with the audience's perception and then it sort of takes it away from gimmick um so that, that's what i tried hopefully i achieved it it sounds like i did which i'm i'm really happy about because well, it could I'm have gone curious. the other way yeah i'm curious now so there's definitely the shot of the lake um yeah. which is that's an in-camera one mm-hmm. yeah um but i i can't think of anything else that, yeah so that, i i wanted to kick out to his work at the end and for you to be like, oh, it's pretty symmetrical, you know, even like some of the shots with him walking around the circle, you can yeah, see that yeah. it's not a mirrored shot, but the work is sort of mirrored. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I try to keep that going. Yeah. I had a bit of help with the color. Um, I mean, I, I did the grading myself, but I have um, a cinematographer friend who does his own color. Um, in Italy, I met him in Italy in 2019, and he gave me a lot of advice on how to grade those shots. Like he took a look at it and he was like, oh, you can try this or try that. So I'm always learning from people as well. And like, he's an invaluable resource for me with color because I like the concept of color grading, but I get five minutes in and I'm like, oh, please someone help me. Can someone please do this for me? Um, So yeah, he had some really good advice about playing around with blue and red tints before the desaturation occurred. So if I took the desaturation off these images, it would be really messed up. It'd be very red or very blue. Sort of the the higher color temperature outdoor shots, if it's if it's very blown out and blue, then you t- sort of put a red tint on and it brings out the detail a bit more, but like mm-hmm. a hectic red tint, not just, oh, a, a bit. Like that image looks red. Mm. Um, I must actually maybe take the color correction off the the node with the DSAT and then maybe post some side by side shots because that might be interesting. The one of the shots that I really liked, which I had to watch a couple of times to work out what was actually going on, and I don't I can't work out if it's maybe even a drone shot, but you it's at like 30 seconds ish yes yeah that's exactly yeah but, it's a drone shot over just a valley right so mm-hmm. but the but it's again it's kind of like a raw shack but it's maybe like mm-hmm. um a wave form as well because as because the drone is going um right to left your view of the trees then compresses which creates a really sort of freaky sort of effect as the whole thing it's like almost like concertinas you know those yeah. those silhouettes concertina in which is a really cool uh, um effect and i had to watch that a couple of times to sort of work out what's going on so did you shoot the drone footage i didn't personally but i i did get it from someone who shoots in that area in the Catalans. um drones are i actually have just gotten a drone within the last two weeks for the filming trip that's coming up. Um, But drones are so heavily regulated in this country now. Um, You need a drone pilot and you need a license, you need a permit. So it's just become a bit undoable. For a five minute film, there are a ton of shots in here. 
it's like you've almost on a macro level you've broken down his uh, voiceover his little monologue and you illustrate i don't know within within a few seconds you know there's something new coming on screen one of the things that reminded me of the jane digby film was your use of stock footage i only know it's stock footage because you'd put it in the in the description of the video yeah i think if i'd have watched it without knowing that it was yours i would have th- at the very least i would have thought oh this reminds me of jane digby and I, and uh-huh. from there i might have thought i wonder if this is um one of sj's films um and i in a good way you know it feels like you've got a um, a style and an approach sort of mm-hmm. visually and technically um it doesn't remind me of anybody else so when I, I saw this, good, I you know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's just like having a, you know, it's it's, a, you know, yeah. short approach. I just wondered how how much of that you're conscious of, or how much of it is just your way of working. And I think one of the major things that I do is I don't do a sit down on camera interview, um, and that that really informs the rest of my style a lot because I have to find interesting frames to, f- to fill up. I don't have any um, talking head to cut back to. And I, I do it on purpose because that's 100% going to be the most boring frame in the film that I make, hopefully, because if it's not, then I have real issues. Um, <laughs> but um, I feel like people, they also feel obliged to cut back to the talking head Um and I just find it so boring. Um, and unless, I don't know if you've watched that um, documentary on Netflix called My Octopus Teacher. It was a South African production as well. You know what? I've not yet. I, it's, it's, on um, my, it's, it's in my watch list. I haven't got around yeah. to it yet. It, it destroys you emotionally. So maybe pick a day that you don't have to do anything <laughs> else afterwards. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, that day they did a very poetic documentary. Um, sort of like my same style, but they also used a talking head, but they used it very specifically for an emotional purpose. And I think that if you are interviewing some someone who shows so much emotion that it is worth cutting back to, then sure, do an on-camera interview. Um, but in this case, talking about work and philosophy, you're not going to get super emotional. There's not, it's not going to add anything. Um, so I tend not to do that, which I think... I don't think I, I ever will sit down and do a talking head. Hopefully not. I don't know. Um, but then I, I also am very interested in sound design um, and how that can tell a story as well. So I, I naturally sort of lean towards those quick cuts with interesting different sounds. And I think that I think that would heavily influence the similarity between the two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A favorite is Edgar Wright, and he uses yeah. sound really, really well. No, um, I love his stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's great. So, and it has made me think. I've I've done a little bit of that recently, and it's amazing how how much impact a tiny little sort of sound effect from somewhere, and you can and 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 actually the the most fun for me is to make my own sound effects as well. Oh, Foley is the best. Because, yeah. I you love can it. just So yeah, you can you can you can really play with that stuff. Um and it and it's really effective 
uh, especially with your your stock images. So I really, really, really enjoy that. And and again, it's a lesson to me to sort of just try different things a little bit more. But um, yeah, I, I wasn't intending to use stock footage in this in this short. Um, I knew I wanted that that sort of visual storytelling um, element. Um, and I know I wanted to use eyes and planets and stuff like that. Um, maybe not so much the planets I could get myself, but um, yeah, I, I I always intended to go and shoot some of that stuff. I was like, okay, this will be a very good exercise in me finding circular things around me and in nature and being creative with it. Um, and then the pandemic hit and I couldn't, leave my small house <laughs> or do anything so i was like well i could wait until some random point in the future where we we're allowed to live or i can just edit this like this um and i try and use minimal stock footage i try and keep it to the bare minimum necessary to tell the story and to get the point that i want to make across and i try i try not to overuse it at all because I, I think it can get to a point where it's like well this isn't a mobile film anymore you've just gone and got a lot of stock um, so I, I've tried to keep that to the minimum for, for that reason as well. I feel like, I mean, it's not cheating. It's, uh, I, especially not in this case, cause I think it serves a, a purpose, but I feel guilty using stock to be honest with you. <laughs> well, I, I don't think you should because it, it's easy to sort of think, oh yeah, you go to a, a website and mm -hmm. get a stock image, but that's, that's, it's like finding the right piece of music. You can spend hours, days, mm -hmm. weeks, even, you know, right, waiting for the right piece of music. And I imagine it's the same with stock imagery. You have an idea in your head and I, I imagine oftentimes you have to compromise yeah. that image because the thing that you have in your head just doesn't exist. Yeah. But, but even then, you know, I imagine when you've crafted a story like, like this, um, I think you're justified in in using those little pieces of punctuation. I think if you if you recorded him and used stock imagery throughout to, mm -hmm. to tell your story, then it's just a different type of filmmaking. And again, it's I don't know whether it's cheating. It's just like say so it's just a different type of filmmaking. I just want to grab you for a minute to tell you about Filmic Pro and how you can win yourself a bundle of their incredible filmmaking apps. I've been using Filmic apps now for over three years, and without any exaggeration, it's my go-to app for shooting video. It's the only app that I use for shooting video other than the camera app occasionally. Built with the mobile creator in mind, the Filmic family of photo and video apps will help you make the best looking content of your life. Simply put, Filmic puts you in full manual control of the camera on your phone. Color balance, focus, exposure, not to mention a full range of filmic simulations that add extremely accessible cinematic quality to your work. For the cinematographers out there, Filmic Pro now offers full support for 10-bit SDR on iPhone 12 series and selected Android mobile devices and ProRes capture on the new iPhone 13 Pro and 13 Pro Max. That's like 24 hours old at this point. There's never been a better time to give these apps a go, as Filmic are very graciously offering bundles of their filmmaking apps to three lucky winners. All you have to do is share this episode 
of the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn, and tag at on the Superfly, at Filmic Pro, and most importantly, hashtag on the Fly Podcast. Otherwise, I might not see your entries. Thanks to Filmic Pro for sponsoring this episode, and learn more about the Filmic family of apps at filmicpro.com. I just wanted to go back to when you mentioned about music um, and finding the right music because I started editing this in 2019 um, and I sort of edited the interview, found some music and started editing picture and it, it didn't work for months and months and months. And I eventually gave up on it a bit. I, I got quite busy um, and I just sort of pushed it to the back of my mind and tried to forget that I shot it because it just wasn't working. Mm. And I think like when you, you sort of bang your head against that wall for months, like not continuously, but you go back and you try and you try. Um, it only sort of came together for me because I found the right piece of music. Eventually I was just on my, the music site that I subscribed to and I listened to something. I was like, Oh, this would go good with that. Let me try. And then it was done within a week, Wow! you know? So it's like, it's especially for me and for this type of documentary, it's so in, integral for me to find the right piece of music. Yeah. Um, yeah. even if it's two pieces of music that I have to sort of mix together, um, but it, it needs to have the right feeling. It can't be, it just, I have to get the right tone because yeah. otherwise I'm sort of like flapping in the wind, like, Oh, what is this tone going to be before I find the music? So, so usually I do go into a shoot having listened to music and think oh well that could work that could work I like that for the feel the personality of this person and the story I want to tell I I have usually a list of songs on the website I subscribe to like oh this could work and then I go in and shoot and the first thing I do is is edit the the content the monologue um so I'll you know run it through (laughs) Adobe Audition or whatever if I've messed up the sound recording and try to get rid of some noise and then I'll sit and just work with the the pieces that I feel uh, best tell a story and put them together um, and sort of string it out, you know, in premiere and think, okay, well, that seems okay. It's usually way too long, way, way too long. Mm. Um, and then I'll export an MP3 of that and sort of listen to it on another device. Like I'll put it on my phone and I'll wait a day and then listen to it and see, you know, does this still make sense? Is like, it was my brain too clouded you know i've listened to it so often am i making poor decisions um and then i'll go back re-edit it and only then lay a music track underneath and then i i with the music track underneath i'll i might like reorder and edit down um a sort of base for the visuals but i definitely get the music and the monologue locked down before the visuals come out um because then otherwise i just get lost because then it's just music and um, monologue and visuals you're trying to make work at the same time um so yeah i try to get all that audio locked before the sound effects come later obviously to match the visuals but i have worked with composers before in in more narrative works and works i've done not on mobile um i have had composers come in and i have enjoyed i've loved the process of working with composers but when i edit I have to have a piece of music there that at least sets the right tone. Mm. Um, 
otherwise I do feel really lost when music is such a huge part in film for me in general as as a filmmaker I it's really the only genre of music I can say that I really like is film scores like I'm so into that side so I think that love for film scores and all of that just comes out you know I'm 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 a little bit lost without even just one piece that I think oh that sounds nice it might not be the final one but that could work Mm. You can get away with a lot visually. The audience will forgive you and forgive you for visuals, but they will they will hear bad audio, bad sound effects immediately, yeah. and they will not forgive you. It'll be oh that movie was trash, um, and it's so true. Like if you if it's done well, you don't notice it. If it's done badly, it makes it just destroys your entire film. Mm. You know, really like I, I really enjoy Foley as well. We did a bit of it in film school, just by the by. You know. Um, and it's it's so much fun how you can get sounds that I don't know they just they they don't relate to what's being happening on screen at all, but it sounds like it does. It's it's amazing. It's such a creative thing. There's a part of me that likes to do at least part of the interview on camera. I always feel like that's that you know that's an opportunity for the audience to connect with this person because they see them on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, you pick and choose which which shots you would use. I just wondered how you felt about having someone on camera. Do you ever feel like you've missed something or you've lost something by not having them on camera? Um, I, I think if you are doing a documentary that y- you aren't filming the person in their process, I think if you don't have them on screen any other time but in the talking head sort of on-camera interview, then sure, I think that is necessary to have them connect to the audience. But in these types of documentaries, I'll always be filming the person like Jane painting or uh, Brendan forging metal. Um, so I think, it, yeah, if you're doing a documentary where that that isn't the case, then I think you would definitely lose something if you didn't have a talking head. Um but I, I 100% agree with you that if you take someone who is unused to being on camera and stick a camera and a microphone in front of them, even if there would be some emotion there, they, they hold it back, you know, um, very much different from obviously working with actors. But it, it, like I feel like they just become really stiff mm. and very concerned with like their appearance and um their makeup or their shirt was the shirt right or is my makeup touched up or am you know do I have a shiny forehead and any of those thoughts I I don't want even to be there um so I, I just find it I get more emotion through the voice with no camera um especially in Jane's case she's like a very emotive speaker um, and I did do a lot of filming with her when she was on camera, obviously not doing an interview, but she was then also concerned with the appearance as you are, as everyone is. Um, so I'm very glad that I didn't do an on-camera interview with Jane. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I mean, to each their own as well. If, if you, if you think it works, you think it works. It's, it's not for me to say that it doesn't. Um, but that's just my preference. I did a shoot a couple of years ago with someone, I did an interview with them on camera. 
Mm-hmm. And and it was fine and and it was informative and but I like their work. Uh, it was a street artist. I managed to capture mm-hmm. them working on a piece. And in a break, he was having a cigarette break. <laughs> and so it wasn't going to be, you know, I, I was just going to be getting in the way. So I, I just, I we'll just do some audio. And um, and actually, he he opened up, and this is online, so it's fine to talk about it. But he, mm-hmm. he um, talked about how street art saved him and that, that a lot of his friends were either... Uh, dead or in prison mm-hmm. and the thing that made the difference was street art and I'm not, I don't know whether he would have done that on camera mm-hmm. if it was just more comfortable and he, he was obviously comfortable with me using it so it wasn't um, whether it was going to be used or not it was just the situation and that was the thing that elevated the film because that was it was fine to to hear about his process and his work spoke for itself to some degree, but with that as a as you know a foundation to why he did all of this, mm-hmm. um, just made all the difference. I think in this one, the metal. I love the sequence. It reminds me of like the the Batman films where he's. <laughs> So they're, you know, putting the gloves on and, and he, all this protective gear and stuff, and then starts pouring molten metal. Uh, it, it's just, it is. It's just really powerful. It was very interesting trying to get close enough with the smartphone camera um, <laughs> to that molten metal because I could feel the heat and I could feel my camera wasn't happy. It was very hot. Yeah. Was, this is a problem I've never had before. I might melt my camera. <laughs> <laughs> never before encountered that but it was interesting and uh, thank goodness i could shoot 4k and then just punch in a little bit yeah um <laughs> but yeah it was it, it was very different um because i have filmed quite a few artists even um before jane and they're all 2d artists and there's only um sort of a set amount of angles you can shoot their work from before it becomes repetitive and before it's like okay we've seen we understand but with Brendan's sculptures, they're all in 3D and they're all huge. So you can walk through them. Mm. And that was really cool as a filmmaker to have that d- uh, the third dimension, you know, and even on such a large scale, it's just, it's great. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you did a great job. So job done. Um, <laughs> and, and move on to the next thing as usual. Um, the lockdown obviously has created limitations. Has there anything sort of um, positive come out of that time to you know to be able to um, you know reflect on your process or I mean even just sitting on a piece of work like this for that amount mm. of time and then to be able to go back to it? Has there anything? Have there been any benefits? Um, with respect to going back to a work, I I do like to give myself a little bit of time between shooting and editing. I think to get a bit of distance really helps you. Um, but this was a lot of distance. Um, and that was very interesting. And I was able to throw away a lot of pieces that I was trying to make work, but just didn't because I didn't have that emotional connection to the actual footage anymore. I didn't have that, oh, I struggle to get this. Um, so I must use it. I didn't have that um, hindrance anymore so that that um, distance was very helpful actually um, but yeah lockdown's been 
interesting. I've tried to get back online a bit more, um, put a bit more work out there and just generally interact a bit more. I haven't been able to before. I just wasn't feeling it. You know, when you don't feel like posting on Instagram or Twitter and it's just a, a chore. A chore. Um, so I, I have had more time to sort of think about that process and what I, what I want to put out there. Um, I've also had a lot of time to write, which is, um, which is good <laughs> because I usually put off writing, but now I've been sitting at home like I should be writing. So I have been a bit, um, and that's always, that, that, that's always good. Cause I can always find reasons not to write. If you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things I like listen to is podcasts about screenwriters Mm-hmm. Titler podcast I listen to the the question that he asks every single writer is what's your your way out of a writer's block how do you deal with that and and it's amazing actually I would say seventy five percent of the time people say I don't believe there's any such thing as writer's block you just write anything mm-hmm. um, if you're going to limit yourself to uh, everything I write has to be good has to have some mm-hmm. value then yeah you're gonna you're gonna create um a mental block for yourself so you know it seems like to me for me personally the 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 biggest part of writing is the edit you know you write something down and then you edit it because then you see right okay well so that's rubbish chop that out (laughs) that's actually quite good and i could do more of that and and one of my ways into documentary is that you can find the story in the edit it's mm-hmm. good to go in with some ideas, but it's usually the magic happens in the edit, and uh, and that's where um, that's the bit I like to sort of spend a bit more time on. It's good training for writing to have to edit like a monologue, absolutely. Set of questions. It's it's very very helpful. I find um, I am using a lot of the training we got in screenwriting with editing that documentary. Um, so that just sort of it forms a loop and it just sort of it informs itself over and over and over and I, I find it like writing editing that so I think I'm going to class that as writing so when my screenwriting mentor is like have you written I'm like yep absolutely <laughs> absolutely <laughs> I've been editing this monologue well, it's know. all story I, isn't it it's all yeah. you're trying to find you you know because it, I, I one of the thing, one of the reasons I like doing the podcast is that I very rarely post a podcast completely chronologically. You're just having a chat, but then you know you you see connections and and so you put things together in a way that is useful for your audience to hear them in that particular order, and um, and that's half the fun. Um, yeah. But then that's that's documentaries, isn't it? That's you know you don't ever put assemble everything chronologically yeah you try to fix your mistakes as you go and you make decisions because oh i can't put that there that didn't come out right yeah yeah and that's and that's the serendipitous side of it isn't it sometimes it's like yep. um necessity and sometimes it's like oh wow i never would have thought to have done that but that's actually yeah. really cool Thanks for listening to this episode of On The Fly. And remember, share the episode on Twitter, LinkedIn or Instagram with the hashtag OnTheFlyPodcast for a chance to win that app bundle from Filmic Pro. Thanks again to the good folks at Filmic Pro for making this happen and for sponsoring the podcast. More details in the description. Next month, I'll be chatting to legendary helicopter stunt pilot Fred North. He's responsible for some of the impossible aerial shots, 
in franchises such as Fast and the Furious, Mission Impossible and Bond, not to mention his ongoing collaboration with Michael Bay. And say what you like about Michael Bay films, but Michael Bay loves impossible helicopter shots. Also, check out the On The Fly back catalogue for other creative conversations, such as Hal Hickel from ILM, Industrial Light and Magic, talking about his career as an animation supervisor on movies like Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, Disney's The Mandalorian, Marvel's Iron Man, not to mention his contributions as an animator on Toy Story. If you'd like to hear more about mobile filmmaking, then check out the chat with Ellen Mannion, a mobile journalist with Ireland's national broadcaster, RTE, based in Dublin. And we talk about her approach to capturing stories for social media, as well as broadcast TV. Any ideas of who you'd like to hear from next? Let me know. Connect with me on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, or message me through Anchor or Apple Podcasts. That's it for now. Remember to comment, like, subscribe. Comment, like, subscribe. Comment, like, subscribe. Subscribe. Comment. Like. Subscribe.